The reality is no matter how anxious you're feeling right now, no matter how scared you are right now, no matter how terrified you are right now, if you stood where you were and just did a 360 pirouette and looked around, can you, can you find any threats to you or your existence within the 20 feet around you? The answer 99.999% of the time is no. So therefore the only thing that can hurt me right now is what I allow to come in to that window. I am in charge of my, my, my comfort zone. I'm in charge of my circle. There really is no fear there. That's the present moment. And I just sort of navigate that bubble around through my day or through my window because I only need to be comfortable 20 feet in either direction. I don't need to be comfortable 10 miles down the road. Hi, welcome back to the show. My name is Richard Hortness and this is The Leadership. Trevor Moore is a jack of all trades. He's a keynote speaker, a mindset coach. He's a magician, a PGA professional, a self-described corporate five iron. I don't know what that means, but we're about to find out. I first met him as I tagged along with my parents on one of their golf lessons uh, as we went through a, a local golf course in Medicine Hat. I got to know him over the next few years, seeing him on stage as a speaker, a comedic magician, sitting down to breakfast with him on a couple of occasions has always led to insightful, laugh-filled hours. I'm so excited to share this jack of spades with you. Um, we talk about golf, obviously, coaching, uh, diversified personal portfolios, stepping into roles that you might not otherwise think you're ready for, and self-care. So with that, welcome aboard. Let's get to it. Awesome. Um, I'm just going to read some things to you then. All you right. bet. Keynote speaker, mindset coach, class A member of the PGA golf professional, uh, comedy magician, event MC, ACAC golf coach of the year, founder of Advantage Golf Academy. Like what other jobs am I missing for you? Because there's gotta be something. Is it, well, it depends on, the, those would be, those would be like paid positions. Let's talk about parenthood, fatherhood. Um, I also am a volunteer coach in medicine at minor hockey. Uh, system and I do work there uh, obviously as a volunteer but I do consider that a part of my my realm uh, in the past I was a ski instructor uh, and a ski coach so my coaching has gone deep into many different directions um, one time a ski bus driver as weird as that was but that was the entrepreneurial side of me it was like wait I can get paid to go to work get paid while I'm at work and get paid to drive home while everybody else is driving their own vehicle I'm in. So that was maybe the entrepreneurial side of me that came in there. But those, you know, those would be the main keys. I think everything I do sort of falls into those realms. I mean, if we were to tighten that down even more, I mean, my, my existence is really that of a speaker, coach and entertainer, um, because everything falls into one of those scenarios, right? Um, I consider myself a bit of a professional communicator. Everything I do is maybe a form of communication. Um, whether I'm on stage performing, we're communicating a message through our body language or movements, um, so it's all, all under communication as, as many different avenues as it looks to be. Um, it's not as many as it appears on the face for sure, but it's a busy existence, but it keeps me from getting bored. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're so busy, you're all over the place and seems like season by season, you even have your own thing, right? We're coming into spring. We're just talking about golf. Um, and so obviously you've, you've worked your way into lots of different avenues throughout the world. Um, and it seems like the funny thing with you is that um, in each and every one of them, you're so good at it that you become the leader in the group, right? Like you, <laughs> you started going to the mountain and then you said you become a ski coach, right? Like yeah. um, 
now you're you're on the golf course but like let's start before I'm assuming you didn't just show up and become a golf coach. You must have golfed at some point in your, you know, life. So tell me about that part first. Yeah, for sure. I mean, golf as a as a as a typical Canadian kid was the hockey off-season sport, right? That's what all my friends did. And uh, so when I was quite young, I got involved in the game of golf. My defense partner at the time, his dad was a golf professional. Um, so I found it quite interesting. Um, you know, hearing and seeing and, and looking at the things that he did in a living and, and make sense of it. So I was a passionate golfer, passionate junior golfer, um, obviously played competitive golf as a junior, um, got to the end of my junior career and the club pro at the golf course at that time had asked me if I'd ever considered turning professional. And we worked on the application of the PGA of Canada and taking care of the playing tests and the written tests and all of the work that was needed to get into that realm and ended up working in a, in a golf club setting like most golf pros do, they either are touring pros and they literally play and every swing is a dollar or so to speak, cost some money, or they're a club pro, which then takes them into, yeah, there's small club pro tours you can play on and competitive sides you can play on, but you take on a role, a bit of promoting the sport. Um, you know, you become part sports psychologist, part general manager, part retailer, part club fitter, uh, part salesperson, all of these things. And, and that was sort of the realm I was pursuing was that club professional world. But as time wore on behind the scenes, uh, as I was turning pro, uh, I was asked by one of my former hockey coaches if I would be interested in coming back to the bench and being a coach in the winter and coaching hockey. Fell in love with the coaching side of the equation right out of the gates. It was very clear to me um, that coaching was my calling, playing was not my calling. So I ended up coaching hockey in the background and being a summer assistant club pro during the season. Um, what has sort of transpired to me was at the end of the day, I, I kind of got a little frustrated with the business, with the industry, uh, in the sense that club pros do so many different things. And I started to really look at it and think club pros sort of golf pros sort of fall into a few different categories. They should either play the game for a living, promote the game for a living or coach the game for a living or some hybrid of those three. What made me special wasn't my ability to fold sweaters and size golf shoes. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, um, not to discredit anybody else, but that was not effective use of my time, my education, my skill set. Right. It was it was to be out with members, talking them off the ledge when they've had a bad game, improving their game, working with them, getting the kids excited about the game so they fell in love with the game. That's sort of what I felt my job was. And I felt that in the traditional club pro capacity, we got spread in too many directions. So that was when I stepped out and started my own teaching academy. And uh, at that time, I was just teaching, just coaching uh, in that scenario, obviously coaching hockey in the winter, but the coaching sort of started to take over ski coaching as well. So coaching, I didn't find coaching, coaching sort of found me um, in that scenario. But at the end of the day, I've always found that the environment I'm coaching in sort of becomes irrelevant. I mean, I work with people who have chronic health issues um, from cancer to pain to mental health. I have clients who are entrepreneurs, marathon runners, golf professionals. What I realized at the end of the day was I don't teach or coach skiing. I don't teach or coach hockey. I don't teach or coach golf. I teach and coach people who just happen to be swinging a golf club when they're with me or just happen to be working on skiing when they're with me, which got me into the idea that, that, that everything I do is about human connection. Um, and, and I had to get to the person first before I got to the player. Um, and I had to make sure that all things were, were in, in line. You can probably, certainly as a former college athlete, you, you can probably relate to this part, but where it really sort of started to make sense to me was when I started coaching at the college level where we'd have our first year players that would come in and, and, and they were just, they were frazzled. They were late for practice. They were just, 
And it was like, whoa, what's going on? They're like, I, I haven't gotten groceries in two weeks. Like there was just so much going on that they couldn't even feed themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. so that's when I really realized it's like, you know what? The first year players need a little different attention than the second, third and fourth year players. And we need to have a little bit more on working with, you know, how are you engaging the community? How are you expanding your social circle in your new city? Um, how are you involving yourself in the community? How are you taking care of your needs? How are you working everything in your life outside of golf? We'll take care of the golf for the little ounce of the time we're together. Well, Let's not worry about that. And working on the holistic piece, right? And that's exactly it. Like you ended up going from like this guy who played golf. Now that golf, just to like stay back with that, that earlier thought is like, when did you start swinging the club and going like, okay, well, maybe this is something I'm, I'm okay at. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. So by 1980 standards, I started, I would think about the age 12, okay. which was young at the time. Yeah. Now 12 is not young. That's the, yeah. the start of like specializing for your sport, which is yeah, like exactly. an interesting kind of world, right? It's an um, interesting twist in the world. And, and I think somewhere between those two realms is the right answer. Right. Uh, we've gone from one extreme to the other, not maybe um, letting kids excel enough in one area in the 80s to just focusing solely on one area in the 90s and 2000s. Right. Maybe there's a little bit of full character development that needs to take place and the leadership behind it all. Well, you know what, though, like the, the lessons that we're learning in sport and the transferable things we do see actually does carry forward into the next realm mm -hmm. of life as you're experiencing, as I'm experiencing. But that so from that 12 year old kid um, rolling all the way through to the person that you are now starting your own academy, starting your your own teaching systems and like all of these like this business that we'll hopefully get to later on. Um, along the way, you become a college coach, right? Yeah. And um, you're not just like a college coach. You're a good college coach. And I don't mean like good <laughs> college coach. I mean, you're the best college coach of a year where you win ACAC head coach of the year. Like, first of all, congratulations on that. It wasn't last Thank year, you. but you know, it is something to be yeah. congratulated on. Like out of a whole system of schools, you are, are, are recognized by your peers as being um, one of the best. Tell me about like the feeling of the feeling that comes with that, because that's something important to touch on, right? You've, you've yeah. developed yourself, you've gotten to a level and it's not like you apply to be coach of the year you're chosen as coach of the year. So what does that feel like for, to, to get that recognition? Yeah. I mean, anytime you win an award, it's special. When you win an award where you're um, acknowledged by your peers as the award winner is, is maybe just extra special because they're the ones that understand that what's front facing isn't all that goes into the job. Um, they see the, you know, the, 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 the meetings in the evenings in the hotels, they see the, running around the golf course, chasing eight different players. They see all the different work and they know the work that goes in behind it. So it was certainly extra special having been something for my peers. It was honestly something I never strived for. I, it was not as though I, I, I wanted to win that award at some point in time. Uh, when I won the first one, I was, I was completely shocked. I wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar. Uh, at that time, we were so uh, in the mix of, to paint a little bit of a picture. Um, at that point in time, our program had never qualified for the national championship. We qualified in 2012 for the first time in history. And that was my second year as the coach. And we, we went to nationals. And in that point in time, you know, you come back the next year and you're like, this whole nationals thing is easy. Like we're going to go every year. Right. 2013 was the humbling year. It was one of those, we had a really strong team. It, 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 we didn't qualify. Um, made you realize just how hard you got to work for it. So it was really something I was proud of in 2014 when uh, we regrouped as a team, we refocused 
uh, and sort of really tried to maintain things in perspective. And that was the start of, I think it was like six years in a row that we qualified for nationals, Beautiful. but we changed our focus. And the interesting thing was we never ever, we always took the, the approach of, of significance over success. Um, and that is when our playing careers are done, we will be remembered for the significance we had on our teammates, on our competitors, on the playing field itself. We won't be remembered for, for what we won or lost. Um, so it was really one of those look at the long-term pieces of this. So um, that was sort of the scenario was it kind of snuck up on me. It wasn't ever really on the radar of something to achieve. It just sort of happened. And um, yeah, it was, it was special, right? I mean, I think the thing for me that, that made it extra special is, I mean, my, 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 my philosophy on, in terms of how um, coaching and things work is a little bit outside of the box at times. I mean, it isn't now. Uh, it was 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago, it was like, ah, oh, he's too soft on these people. He doesn't have enough expectations on him. And, and I remember uh, I was doing some things differently. And I remember getting some, that's, that's aggressive until it started to work. Right. Um, and, and that's when it started to work was right around 2014. It was really one of those, it, it gave me some extra confidence that I wasn't off in left field. I wasn't just grasping at straws. Some of this outside of the box thinking um, was important. One of the things that was probably the most out of the box for me that that really validated was um, tryouts. Typically speaking, golf teams in the past had always went, you know what, all the players go out and if we're going to take eight players, we take the eight best scores. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, but in basketball, do they take, you know, the, 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 the point, top point getters in the exhibition season? In hockey, do they take the best, most goals scored? They don't. They build a team. Um, those are small measuring sticks that go into it. I want to see not if you're good, because you're here, you're good. What I actually want to see is I want you to struggle on day one, and I want to see how you group on day two. Or I want to see you have a lights out round of your year round one and have to sleep on that and see how come back to your day two. You're using the money ball strategy, right? Like exactly. Yeah. Off of a kid or off of a player and saying like, Hey, you know what? Your short game's awesome. Let's use you. Um, yes. That's, that's, I mean, it's a great way to look at it. And the other thing that I liked that you touched on earlier was that you're focusing on connection, right? When yeah. I talk yeah. with the teachers during our professional development days about how do you connect with students? How do you make a good lesson? How do you, nothing starts before connection with student, right? Yeah. Teachers that have a struggle with connection are the ones that are struggling with their lessons. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a huge believer and I have a keynote that I do lots and it's, it's been very popular amongst teachers because it touches on that scenario and it's called teammates in disguise. And to me, I look at like, I look at leadership. Let's look at school teacher, coach, mentor, leader, manager. Let's put them all into one bucket and just call everybody leaders. Let's say that. Um, high impact leaders understand the power of human connection. They understand how to leverage human connection. They understand how to innately engage the outliers in the room so that those outliers are not the distraction of the room. They become the rallying point of the room. Everybody now wants to see the outlier succeed. Everyone's cheering the outlier on as he or she grows and progresses and they become a rallying point for the team rather than this distraction, right? Yeah. And it's the same in the classroom. Our outliers tend to be the ones that if we don't get really good at engaging them, we can, we, we can, we can get off the rails across the board um, and not being fearful of that outlier, finding ways to engage them, finding ways to get to know them. And one of my, my whole mantras in that scenario is that the process I use, it starts with connection and it comes down to the one basic philosophy. Nobody cares what you believe until they believe you care. And that's it. Um, once they believe you care, they'll listen to anything. 
they'll do whatever you ask. But if they do not feel that you care about them and their goals, you could be the most knowledgeable person in the world and you are destined to fail. And you see it all the time where as a coach or as a teacher, you see a coach with a practice plan. They're like, this is my go-to. This practice plan works lights out every day. We run this very plan once a month. I've ran it for 20 years. It's great. They hand it to a first year coach and they're like, that was awful. Yeah. It's because, because you, you don't know how to soften that together. It's a, that's a life's amount of work in that one lesson plan. Totally. Um, and, and we're there, right? So it, it, the connection is the big part of the equation, which requires vulnerability, requires us to gain trust, requires us to show an interest beyond what you can do for me right now. Uh, really important stuff. Connection is super powerful. It's, it's really the, the, uh, the performance enhancing drug of, of coaching and teaching, right? Like yeah. you can connect, so much can happen. Well, and, and the, the ability to get um, something out of your team or to, to, to do something is the, the key word there is team, right? Like you're yeah. not going to be a good team leader unless you have the connection with the people that you're working with. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing, whether it's a classroom or a team at a fast food chain, right? If you are yep. respected because of the respect that you deliver to somebody else um, within a team atmosphere, like if you have to work together, you're on it, right? Yep. As soon as that, that's not there, it's, it's just not. That's right. Um, just working collaboratively isn't enough sometimes, right? We need to work collectively, be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And the idea that, that coming together, this comes back to the idea that teammates in disguise, um, one of the concepts I work off of, um, is, is at the end of the day, leaders, leadership isn't a position. Leadership is a, 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 a progression or a tangent. And at the end of the day, you fall somewhere in that scope. Every good leader is being led by a mentor and are leading. It's one of those bucket brigades we're handing up and down the line. And great coaches and great leaders understand that they are in this whole system. They are simply teammates in disguise. They may be the coach, but their players understand that they are chasing the same goal as them for the same reasons as them, under the same philosophies as them, meaning a good coach is just a teammate in disguise. No different than the backup goaltender on the bench. They can't have a dramatic impact on the outcome of the game, but they can be a part of the team and they have a big role to play. And I think as coaches, it's just so important that we understand that this, this paradigm that we have to be on this scenario, it's not getting here. It's understanding that we're always in that scenario. There's always more to learn. And in order to learn, we need to free up headspace by educating down. We need to share our lessons down to really reinstill what we know but to mentor somebody who was once in our shoes and hope to get them where we are so that the person above can do the same with us. But we have to have to empty space. And the best way to do it is to teach it down, right? No, that's that's a great way too. And and you're totally right. Like the the ability to pass that information down to somebody else. Um, I do it in my classroom. I say like, how would you explain this to grandma? Um, yeah. Right. And so you have to take whatever knowledge it is, simplify it, condense it, whatever it is to get it down to the next level. So you obviously yeah. have been able to do this through your career as a coach, as a, a teacher, you taught my parents how to golf better, right? My dad got his first hole in one a couple of years ago. Yay. Um, one of the quotes that I read from the staff at the school was that you are a tremendous college coach in that you focus on the complete development of the student athlete, right? It's what you've been talking yeah. about already, but you yeah. include academics, athletic progress, community involvement. Like, yeah why for you is that important, right? Like I went to school as a, an athlete. I was a student athlete, but I was really an athlete student. Um, yeah. 
and that was just how I went for swimming and I did my schooling and whatever. But why is that important for you? Like I'll, I'll call this a diversified portfolio, right? Like, yeah, go ahead. For sure. Because, because we can draw on so much, like so much of what we can work on with, with these athletes um, is so much more than just the competitive realm we're in. Um, the more that we can have them understand themselves, understand their tendencies, because their tendencies will show up everywhere. If they are super nervous and, 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 and have a tough time, you know, volunteering or speaking to groups, they're going to have a tough time in the competitive realm. So let's not put the fire to them in the competitive realm all the time. Let's get them doing some volunteer work, get out, talk to kids, mentor in the community, find ways to get comfortable in those situations because that skill set will help you over there. Um, by the same token, networking yourself out, finding other mentors, other coaches, other people who have been there. Um, so it's just so important that we look at how we fit into the whole picture. Um, there's an old proverb, and I don't even know who to attribute it to, but it's something along the lines of, if you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. If you want to go somewhere far, go with a group. And that's what that's all about to me is we build a group. If, 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 if you want to do this on your own, do it on your own. You don't need to be a part of a team. Um, but if you really truly want to... To, to do it, you need to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You need to learn how to understand your impact on others, whether it's your body language, whether it's the words you're using, the efforts and the energies you're putting in and understanding that ripple effect, because that is just so important. And we, we if we get so focused on the athletic realm, we, we, we specialize it so much that we forget that it's just a human skill that can be worked on anywhere, right? Like we have an athlete on our team the one year and she was, she was a great player. Um, but she struggled with performance anxiety and did not live up to her expectations or, or ours fair and square. She did not play as good as she could have in competition. We could have worked on our golf swing to her blue in the face, but we had to find other answers. And as we started to d dig in more, the conversation came that, yeah, this is something I dealt with in, you know, in math, in my, in my diploma exams. And this is what I've dealt with with my basketball coach, and my track coach. And once we started to realize this was a, a, a thing that impacted her in every realm, we then had 24 seven opportunities to work on it. We didn't have to wait for practice, right? Right. We could work on, you know what, if, if you're going to work, how do you feel at work? I feel like I'm gonna get fired every day. We need to work on this. You're not on the verge of being fired or cut or there's expectations we need to manage. So, you know, human tendencies follow us everywhere. And sometimes getting us out of the window we're in is the best way to assess. So even if we took it in a whole other scenario, um, if I have a group of kids, and we're working on the golf grip and I want to give them a report card and assess their golf grip. I will assess their golf grip while I'm teaching them a whole different skill set. Right. Because when they're occupied with that skill set, they can't fake it with the grip, their habit will show up. Right. So sometimes we give them a task that seems unrelated, but it's allowing us to really see the roots of the thing we're looking at. And that's where that whole involvement, how do you get into the classroom? How do you become a a mentor in the classroom. If you can't manage your time with your books, you're not going to manage your way around the golf course. If you can't manage your sleep around appropriate studying and understanding the accountability to yourself, it's not going to happen in a golf environment either. So we build it holistically from the person's perspective, make them stronger, better, and more aware of themselves. And then those tendencies kind of fall off. They don't show up in the competitive environment like we have to do. I feel like, I feel like we have to be more oriented at the person, right? Yeah. So either with this athlete or with another one, um, I mean, we know that anxiety and stress response on the golf course is huge, right? It's why the people yep. get yips. It's why, you know, you can't, you stutter your swing. It's whatever. Um, 
in a, a high pressure situation she's got to make a one foot putt but she blows it because she taps two legs she doesn't want to go past whatever how do you take that out of somebody because in the classroom setting and in real life setting right we are anxious for various reasons kind of yeah. all the time and there's yeah. a real trend right now that teachers are seeing where students are saying like my anxiety is so high that I am feel so nervous and I'm going to feel sick all day or whatever. But yep. what I always say is like you, you're anxious because you care about the yep. outcome. Um, what's your work through with that when you're working with your athletes or your students? Yeah. One of the biggest things for me is, is I, I really like to instill the fact that nerves are natural uh, and nerves are also the reward of potential greatness. Um, you're never nervous about something that is inconsequential. The fact that you're writing a test that matters this much to you means you're on the doorstep of success. Like those nerves matter. You could eliminate these nerves by staying on the couch. Um, so it's one of those, you, you've wished for these, they're here. So now let's accept them and embrace them and work forward. Let's not wish away the nerves we dreamt about this moment before we got here, right? Like they're natural. When you look across the green at another player, they're just as nervous as you are. It just doesn't show. And inversely, when they look at you, you look composed compared to them. So don't think of the comparing outwards. And it's one of those embrace that scenario. What's happening inside you is quite natural. Now, natural doesn't necessarily mean helpful. We have to find ways to work through it and work around it. But embracing them, don't try to fight them off. Accept them for what they are. Um, and, and that's a big important one for me is just accept I am a nervous wreck right now. And that's okay. Because in order to win this, I'm going to have to get through that moment. And I'm going to have to achieve something while being scared that's okay. We don't push the, the, the fear away. We just learn to manage through it and, and sort of make it happen. Right. Totally. I love that you talked about that because like that outward appearance literally was talked about today. Like we, yeah. we, we went over what I call like the masks we wear. Right. And I showed them yeah. like there's 10 out of this one article or this book that talks about like 10 different, you know, the funny guy, the guy that's the martyr for everybody, all these different masks. Yeah. And I, I, in class, we give uh, a superhero, as like the mask that you're now going to wear when you feel like this, you're going to put, become that superhero, you know, electro or whatever yeah. you want to call it. You embody something completely different so that you feel like you deserve to be on the course. You feel like you can be yeah. calm. Um, like you, and this is so good. Timing on this is always like serendipitous, but scrolling yeah. through social media, I come across you and the ending of this video was a little bit different where you spill coffee on yourself, but you start it with look good, feel good, play good, right? And this is something yeah. we talked about in swimming where we go before a big meet, we go away and get a suntan. Or if you were stuck in the middle of winter, we'd go to the tanning beds, right? So that we yeah. look good on the pool deck. You obviously have your own experience with this. Like, how do you apply that? Or do you even talk about like, hey, you know what? You got to show up and look like you're going to crush people. Yeah, it is important, right? I mean, there's a lot to be said for um, people will take you as, as serious as you take yourself or people will respect you as much as you respect yourself. And there's so much power in showing up. I remember uh, years ago hearing a quote and it was, it, was, it was sort of along the lines of always dress like you have a someplace better to be after this meeting. Like, do you know what I mean? Always look like you're ready for the next moment. This is, so when you walk in the door, people are not like, oh, he's just checking a box. Today. It's like, geez, he's here to, get some work done. He's got something bigger to do after. Like right. always try to do that. But it's one of those, try to be angry with a smile on your face. It's hard. Um, there is so much that we can do to, 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 let's look at the power of the mind. 
I mean, we can trick our own mind. We do it every day for the wrong reasons. What if we started tricking it for the right reasons? What if, what if we started to, uh, to smile or to laugh or find the humor in the things we're doing or find the paradigm, like we were talking about the nerves. You know what, instead of that, you know, looking across, wondering if everybody else is as nervous as you are, really looking and going, this is great. I am so nervous. And that means I'm this close. That is exactly what I want. Like change the perspective on them. Let them excite you rather than scare you. Um, and sometimes that is about fielding that sort of visible look first, right? Looking yourself in the eyes and, 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 and believing that you belong there um, because you have to, or it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, you have to believe that it's going to, this comes back to trust, right? Like athletes need to trust themselves more. Um, and so often I have athletes that use the word, I'm just not trusting myself. And my question is always, well, define trust. Cause if you're going to use the word trust as the excuse here or the answer here, um, you need to be able to define what it means. And you know what? How many times people can't give a reasonable definition of the word trust? They know what it feels like. They try to achieve it, but they have no idea what that, what is it? And really it's just an understanding and a willingness to accept any possible outcome, knowing that you've done everything in your power up until this moment to give yourself the best chance of success. That's it. It's no guarantee. There's never a guarantee. It's just that I can live with failing today. There's nothing more I could have done. I will relax. I'll let it happen. When we don't trust ourselves, we're not willing to accept one of the outcomes. And as soon as we start not wanting to accept the outcomes, now all of a sudden we're, we're, we're waiting for the starter's pistol to not win the race, but to not finish last. Like that is not the mindset to go in. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly a big... what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I exactly. that same thing in the, in the swimming pool. And that's where like, I needed to go see the sports psychologist and be like, I don't know what to do because I don't feel like what we've done has helped me get here and I'm just faking it. Um, yeah. And sometimes yeah. that's, that's the way that it goes. Um, yeah. And really it's, it's overcoming imposter syndrome, right? Where you don't feel like you belong in this space. So imposter syndrome is a big one. Oh, it's huge. And, and it comes yeah. up in, in nearly every professional conversation that I have, whether it's starting a business, whether it's teaching, um, where our friend Cole Feth, he was talking about that in one yeah. of his podcasts where early teachers are thrown into a situation, they have to fake it till they make it. And really, like, you don't know what you're doing the first 12 times that you teach this thing. But guess what, by the time you get to like, your third or fourth or sixth year of teaching it, you know it really, really yeah. well let's kind of shift into this where there must have been some imposter syndrome or some real fear for you because yeah. I've seen you in two real situations and in each of those personal face-to-face -face situations you've either been holding a golf club or a deck of cards um yep so do you prefer magician or illusionist uh, I go with magician uh, I tend to feel like illusionist um, is more of a connotation people associate with what we call furniture movers. The people who have the, you know, the dancing assistants on stage with the smoke and mirrors and the drapes and the big cloths and um, the big illusionists is more the case. Uh, I think people associate illusionists more with that realm. Okay. Um, so so magic, more stand up magic and calm. Yeah. Okay. So magic is like the hands and the, by the way, there's a video you have where you take out aces and you put them all down. You put one on the top <laughs> corner and they're all gone or all of them end up there and you disappear. I'm just like, I melted my face on that one. It did not make any sense. Yes. But that's one of my favorite ones. Oh man. And it was so good to watch online. Anybody that watches this has to go and watch it after. Um, but <laughs> when you go, like, tell me about, first of all, like, how did you get to be coming on stage? Because I can pick up a deck of cards, but I can't make them disappear. So this is obviously another one of those things that just like golf 
takes a lot of practice, takes a lot of skill. Yeah. Where did this start for you? Yeah, that's it, magic is probably interestingly one of the ones that showed up latest, but probably was in the fold the earliest. Um, I had this real big interest in magic as a spectator. Like as a kid, it just it fascinated with me. I could watch people do card tricks every day. Uh, my dad had a couple card tricks. Everybody's dad has a card trick or two, or at least an uncle does. Um, and uh, so I was really fascinated about it, really liked some basic card tricks. But what happened for me um, when I was younger and I played hockey, and even when I led into the early years of my coaching career, back then we didn't have VCRs and DVD players in the bus. Um, so athletes and, and coaches on the bus would sort of fall into a few categories. And one, you'd have the intellects, the front, the people doing homework, uh, et cetera. Then you'd have the readers and then you'd have, you know, the video gamers, the handheld, which were awful video games back when you were kids, but <laughs> had the handheld video gamers and then at the back were the card players. And I honestly got along with all my teammates. I fit in everywhere, but I also didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. Like um, I wasn't, I mean, I was a good student, but I was like, I'm not in class. I'm probably not going to sit at the front and do homework. Uh, I wasn't much of a reader. I'd rather talk and learn by asking someone questions or learn about something. And um, so I wasn't really much of a reader. I was terrible at, at cards, terrible at video games. So I didn't really have anywhere to sort of be on the bus, right? I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, but uh, my sister got me a card trick book for Christmas one year as a gag gift. And she said, well, now you can sit with the readers when you're bored and you can read and learn card tricks. And then you can maybe go to the back table and show the card players the card tricks. And lo and behold, that's literally what happened. I would, uh, on the way out on the road trip, I'd be sitting in front of my deck uh, and in the book, trying to figure it out and learn new tricks. Then on the way home, I'd be at the back of the card players between games showing card tricks. And that's sort of how it kind of grew. Um, from there, had no real interest in it becoming uh, anything I would ever do. Never ever thought I would see myself on stage. I was just more of a close-up magician. Right. Um, and uh, as time wore on, I started getting asked to do corporate Christmas events. And it was primarily some close-up stuff because I wasn't comfortable with who I was. And as a big piece is getting on stage um, you have to have a sense of, of, of comfort with who you are. And the hardest role any actor or anybody will ever play is themselves. Uh, it's easier to play someone else than it is to play you. You know what I mean? It, the, the be yourself is the simplest yet most complex statement we ever ask somebody to do. And we as adults struggle with being ourselves sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yet we're teaching kids, like, just be you, just be you. It's like, Let's not pretend really hard. we don't. Yeah. Let's not pretend we don't still have moments where we're like, I don't know who I am here. Like, so, so in this case, like today, I told kids to stop being themselves and to embody, you know, Electra or somebody else. Is this something that you would do to get over that? Like, hey, I'm going to go on stage. Yes. Now I'm Trevor yes. the Magician. Right. Like, what do you. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it really is. I was able to sort of mask myself and put this sort of barrier between the stage and me. And, and just sort of let my whole guard down and, and be who I wanted to be in that moment. And the reality was who I wanted to be was closer to who I was anyway, when I wasn't trying to be someone else. It, it ended up just becoming me. And I really sort of said, you know what, I ended up just really standing on stage being myself. And, and I just sort of read off the audience and kind of feed with it. And, and, and it works and it goes because I'm comfortable with who I am. Uh, I know that there's times my show is more comedy than magic, times where it's more magic than comedy. Uh, all points in between. It's very interactive. The audience, I can read it in the room. I, I like to feel that I'm not performing for an audience. I'm performing with an audience. Like they're a part of this. And, uh, and that was important. So finding myself was really, really important. And ironically, I found myself the less I went looking for myself. Right. Uh, I just started to act in my character and just be me. And lo and behold, 
uh, I started to realize, yeah, I can do the stage stuff because it's about magic and comedy for me. It's about calm. I, I'm a calm person. I can, I can sort of, I can communicate. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't about all the dancing assistants and making a car disappear. That was the only genre of magic I could envision on stage. And it was like, well, that's definitely not me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what's the scenario. So it took me a while to figure out who I was, but that was the progression that, that I did. And, and it came by complete accident. Really one of the first big moments on stage for me was completely by accident. Um, I was brought to an event up until this point in time, I sort of steered clear of the stage. Cause it was like, I don't know how to be on stage or I don't know if I am good enough to be on stage or I don't know if my style will work. And I really was nervous and never really was too excited about the idea. Although I knew I had to do it. I ended up getting hired for this like middle of the winter rural Saskatchewan women's curling bond spiel. Okay. And the idea was that I was going to do close up magic at the tables during cocktail hour. And then they had, I don't even know who it was. I can't remember. It was like a ventriloquist or a comedian. They had a state headline stage entertainer for after supper. I was just brought in to do close up card tricks at the table for like an hour. Just after starting my close-up set on the floor, the organizer says, how, how much material do you have for stage? And I was like, uh, not a lot. Like she said, here's the problem. She said, because it's blizzarding, our headliner can't get here. So we have nothing. We're completely stuck. And we have that hour to fill after supper. And I was like, okay. And she said, are you interested in, in doing some stuff? I said, well, I said, at the end of the day, I just want you not to be stuck. Um, I can't guarantee if it'll last five minutes, 10 minutes or an hour, uh, but I'll happily hop on with the microphone and, and, and see what I can make happen. Let's just try to rectify this for you. But it, it eliminated all the pressure for me. Right. I wasn't charging. I wasn't billing myself as anything. I was just, I, I had the chance, no matter what it happened, I was, I was there being helpful one way or the other. And for that, I would be, they'd be happy. Right. So to cycle but back, on, like on this, yeah. your feelings at that point, as much as it would have been like, don't care what happens, you're going to be nervous yeah. as hell, right? Oh, absolutely. And so for sure. So when this comes up, right, like you've never been on stage before, imposter syndrome comes back. Now I'm a stage magician. How do you, yeah. like, what face do you put on there for your first time? And how do you get over this nervous thing? Um, because now it matters. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, I mean, it, it, it's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the golden goose of the whole equation for athletes, entertainers, entrepreneurs, isn't it? Is like, how do we manage that moment? And a lot of that came back to me with um, my golf specific training in that we work so hard in trying to bring people in the moment. Like the reality is no matter how anxious you're feeling right now, no matter how scared you are right now, no matter how terrified you are right now, if you stood where you were and just did a 360 pirouette and looked around, can you, can you find any threats to you or your existence within the 20 feet around you? The answer 99.999% of the time is no. So therefore the only thing that can hurt me right now is what I allow to come in to that window. I am in charge of my, my, my comfort zone. I'm in charge of my circle. There really is no fear there. That's the present moment. And I just sort of navigate that bubble around through my day or through my window because I only need to be comfortable 20 feet in either direction. I don't need to be comfortable 10 miles down the road. Um, so it gets us really into that sort of present moment because the present is the situation where we can take the actions we need to right now. We start to forecast and think about the potential things that can go wrong or the, 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 the severity of the challenge at hand. We start getting stressed and anxious when we start forecasting. But by the same token, if we stand there and think about the things that have gone wrong in the past and the poor decisions we've made in the past, we start to deal with depression and regret. 
so so often those emotions are brought into that bubble again that's on us that's not on the environment around us what we allow in our comfort zone is our choice and we have to get better at allowing things to only be in the present moment i've just got to walk the next 10 steps that's all i've got to do and and that's for me the big piece of that puzzle is i had to really contain it to one moment at a time one bad line, one joke that didn't hit well, didn't mean a bad show, it meant a bad line or a bad joke, no big deal, regroup, nail the next one, right. nail the next one. And then you get going one at a time. So it's all about conditioning yourself to try to stay in that moment because that is truly the safest place to be, is present, is here. Um, that's where you can manage everything that's coming your way the best. It's where you are the most calm, the most relaxed, the least afraid, the least scared. Performance anxiety is so much about forecasting the outcome of this. If it goes wrong, just write the test. Right. I mean, if you're, if you write it, write it and that's just trust yourself. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's a really great way to, to, to phrase it. I mean, listening to your, your talk with Cole on his podcast, like I'm going like this man is a human quote machine. It was like every, other <laughs> you're dropping some kind of knowledge bomb. Um, and it's going to be really hard for me to pull out something from this talk that is just like one concise, like this is good. Cause I think there's <laughs> so many of them walking up onto stage, walking through like the golf course, um, walking recently hasn't been super easy for you. And it's actually led into yeah. one of the last things that I think we really need to talk to. Um, and it's something that you really focus on now and that's your personal self care. Right. Um, yeah. so give us a little bit of history and then tell me a little bit about, um, like why self care has become such a forefront for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in a nutshell, um, 10 years ago, woke up in the middle of the night in excruciating pain, felt like someone smashed my foot with a hammer. Um, really no, nothing that led to it. And I didn't roll my ankle during the day, anything like that. But, uh, essentially for the better part of 10 years, I lived off and on crutches in chronic pain on every med we could imagine had been through nine different specialists, two rheumatologists. We had done every test we could find. Everything was clear except for the bone scan, but a bone scan in this case couldn't tell us what's wrong. It can only confirm something is wrong, which means it wasn't mental or neurological in that sense right. that my body. Um, so it was showing that my body was clearly trying to do something. We just didn't know why. And it was trying to heal the tendon and the ankle as though it, as though it felt it was ruptured or, or torn. Like it was doing everything it could to keep me off the foot. So tried an experimental surgery to see if we could create some room in there. They cut off some parts of the bone. But yeah, it was, an, it was an awfully dark 10 years. It was seven and a half years into that 10 years before I had a diagnosis, which is complex regional pain syndrome type one. And um, that's pretty on board for that diagnosis. Most people, I think the average is five to seven years and six to 10 specialists or something like that before they get the diagnosis. So right. it, although it took forever for me to get a diagnosis, it wasn't, it wasn't out of the realm of normal in that sense. But once we found the diagnosis, then treatments happened. Uh, it changed everything. I'm now back to the point where I'm playing a little bit more golf. Uh, I did some skiing this year for the first time in a long time because I could get a ski boot on. Wow. can do a lot more walking, biking, hiking. So starting to get back some of the stuff that was taken away from me with that issue. Um, the one thing that really sort of resonates with me in, in the chronic pain scenario is just how prevalent mental health and chronic pain are together. But by the same token, it's also something that, that has come off to me with some of my clients that I work with uh, and, and, and some of the stuff I've learned from them. And that is that, that mental pain and physical pain are, are really the same pain. Um, when you're feeling pain, it, it hurts, whether it hurts your head, your heart or your foot, 
it hurts and it hurts the same way. We don't need to know what the pain is. Pain is pain. And uh, when I started to really realize that, that my mental health was starting to really decline big time because of, you know, the lack of sense of purpose or value, um, not to mention the pain that I was going through with it, the lack of sleep that goes with chronic pain, right. my mental health deteriorated. And even when we did do stuff that I, I was thinking was going to be successful, we were seeing limited success with it. And that's when my pain specialist said, listen, um, when you are depressed, you'll be more in pain. And when you're in pain, you'll be more depressed. It's the chicken or the egg. We have to stop one of these. Uh, and we're not having much luck from the foot side of this equation. We need to work from the brain side of this equation. So that's when we started really utilizing the idea of psychologist, psychiatrist in the equation and using mental health based treatments and meds for the depression side. And lo and behold, the physical treatments started to stick longer. They started to stay longer. So it was one of those things where I really just understood that we as people have this big complex package and we need to make sure we take care of everything in that little 20 foot bubble, that little comfort zone. And um, it was important for me because it, 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 it as much as it sucked, I, I wouldn't want to go through the 10 years I did again. Uh, I wouldn't turn it back though for the lessons that I learned through it because it, like any challenge or any adverse situation, that is where the best wisdom comes from. Um, and things that, that I learned through that chronic pain journey um, were just so powerful to me. And it was one of those, I really realized that, you know, we live in a world that talks a lot about being pessimistic and being optimistic as though those are the two options. So if I wasn't super excited about my doctor's appointment, the answer was, oh, you got to, you can't be pessimistic, Trev. You, you got to be more optimistic. And if I went in optimistic and got a, a clean result, no answers, I came home depressed. Like there was no optimistic, pessimistic was not, neither of those were working. And that's when the, the exploration of the idea of there's a third part and that is realistic. You can be optimistic, you can be pessimistic, or you can be realistic. And I realized that realistic is, is sort of taking the moment for what it is, um, having the best day you can, because not all days are created equal. They can't all be great. But if I'm, you know, four to 10 today, how can I wiggle the needle and make it four and a half? That's my job. I'm not going to get it all the way to a 10 today, but how can I make it a four and a half? How can I wiggle the needle? And um, wiggling the needle on the pain in my foot sometimes was a half hour nap. Sometimes it was changing and, and making sure I was hydrated, consuming enough water, um, all of those things. That's when I really realized the thread between mental health, physical health, emotional health, bringing it all together. And it all matters in that picture. Yeah. And so with, with that, like, if you were going to pick two or three things that move the needle the most for you, like I have in my head already, like, here's like, I want to see if we're going to connect here, you know, your brain to my brain, what are we going to say? Um, I'd say we'll both say it on three, but I'm going to let you go ahead. Um, yep. What are like two or three things that say you're depressed, you're anxious, you're feeling not you or whatever. What are, what are two or three things that you would say move that needle the most for you? Yes. So it is, it is super simple. Um, for me, rest or sleep, uh, and hydration and nutrition. Um, and if I, if I take care of those basic, basic elements and I make sure I'm well rested, listening to my body, taking the time I need to, uh, making sure I'm healing at night with getting some sleep. Uh, if I'm hydrated, uh, and if I'm eating appropriately, those three things tend to be the three things that everything can rotate around. And when I get those three in play, I don't struggle. Um, it's amazing how much else falls in line. But usually I call them my dash lights. When you're usually you have a little dash light that blinks on your car. Yeah, for me, when I see the dash lights, um, it usually is easily corrected with, with, with water or sleep, for example. 
a dash light for me is shaving. Like I always have a bit of a goatee, but if I'm like full of stubble, you can be rest assured. I'm not following my routine very well. <laughs> um, it's, it's just one of those. It's that's the, one of the first things to follow out for me. It's like, you haven't shaved in like two weeks. Yeah, I haven't, but I also haven't went to bed properly. I haven't eaten properly and I haven't hydrated properly. So that's just the symptomology of the problem. I suppose that's like the front desk of my classroom or my closet at home. Like if those two things aren't squared away, then like my brain is starting to shatter a little bit. It's funny that you said sleep, right? Like um, when I was teaching physical education at one point, a few years ago, we talked about antidepressants and we talked about sleep and how which ones move the needle the most. And it's not the antidepressants. That's like one point on whatever the scale is. It's like 13 yeah. points otherwise. Um, and yeah. so it's, it's really cool that you, you have those, those things in there because it, I think that those really do line up. Yeah, you sure. were starting or have started and you're, you're in the beta rollout or maybe you've moved on past that into this like new coaching business. And yeah. just because it popped into my head, you called yourself a corporate five iron. I yep. thought that the seven iron was the like go-to tool. Is it really the five iron? Is this where we're? Where <laughs> it we're depends. So, so statistically, males tend to migrate to the five iron. Females tend to migrate to the seven iron. So not wrong in the thought being seven <laughs> iron, um, but, it, but it is more common. Not to say there aren't ladies that like the five iron and not to say there's not men that don't like the seven. But demographically speaking, nine times out of 10, if you're going to bet the farm, Five iron on a guy, seven iron on a lady. Okay, so um, it's the maybe it's just because a tin cup or something, and like it's the seven iron there. It was, it's kind of a way to COVID proof what I'm doing um, already and doing it in a scenario where I can have a broader reach um, because virtually we can get to anywhere. So when I was just offering it sort of face to face, because that's what everybody was doing one year ago, um, was just sort of face to face, I really only had a limited access to a clientele. But as soon as I opened up to Zoom and starting to do mindset coaching through Zoom, I started to see my client list explode all over North America and people in every pocket and corner, which made me realize that once I stripped down the barrier to access, people, there were people who always had wanted to work with me, but just they couldn't. They weren't going to fly here to work right. with me and nor were they going to fly me down there to work with them because it wasn't that big a situation. But if it's a couple hours here or there, they're totally in. So um, migrating it to that virtual world and the idea being I can have, I can have more impact. I can work more with the people I really want to work with the people I'm passionate about helping. Um, I can do it in a sense that has way less footprint on my day. I can balance my life and my family time and my work better. Um, doing things like this, for example, right? Like sitting in my office in the studio, just doing this instead of being in my vehicle, driving somewhere to go talk or speak or do right. whatever. I have a lot better balance and rhythm in my life because of the virtual coaching Academy. So yeah, the beta that just rolled out because I needed to work through the tech delivery of it. So I had to put another website together and do some stuff. And so my first one was my entrepreneurship course, which is I ran a free beta on it just because I needed to figure out, I mean, the, the content I was pretty comfortable with because it's what I do. It was how it was going to work through Zoom classrooms and lectures and how I was going to deliver the content and, and support it with Q and A's and stuff like that. So that's where we're rolling out is, is, is right now the virtual coaching academy. Um, by the end of it, I envision the virtual coaching Academy. I envision myself having, um, actual courses people can sign up for on there, doing them virtually logging into their student files, watching the video, doing the assignments. They can do it from anywhere, anytime on their own schedule. Uh, and I can work with the same people I work with now, but work with a broader picture of them. So that's kind of the virtual coaching Academy. It's, it's been fun. It's been a, an interesting venture. One I've wanted to do for a while, but like I said, I just wasn't all that inspired to do it until COVID sort of said, Now's the time.
Well, and I mean, that's, that's the nicest thing. And like the term for that is pivot, right? But we're really yeah. seeing and speaking with my friends that are in business that have to do client meetings all the time for their job. Some of them are saying like, I'm never going to have another first time client meeting when I'm just prospecting somebody or I'm just like giving some information. We're never going to sit down in a branch ever again, because there's no yeah. point. I can have a 15 minute phone call with them, which is the same thing we'd be doing in person. But guess what? Yep. We save four hours, right? Yep. For travel time, for, for setting it Absolutely. up or whatever. You just have yep. to sit down and turn on your computer and it's brilliant. Yep. So like, congratulations yep. that you're Such able a... to, to get onto that. Yeah, it, it, it certainly was, uh, it took some, took some work for, for me. I mean, the old getting, letting go of the past picture of the equation because it's one of those, but yeah, but in the past, if you're like, well, let's hang on. The past may never look like it used to, but that's not a bad thing either. Um, it might not be COVID that we're scared of. It might be change that we're scared of, which we've always been scared of. So let's not say COVID, it, it certainly magnified it or amplified it, but it's just people aren't interested in changing. It's not going to go back to the way it was. And that's okay. This yeah. is a changing time. And there's so many good things that have come out of it. We just have to find the good things and make sure we find the positives in it so that when this smoke does clear on the whole COVID realm, we are operating in this new normal that we've created, that we've actively shaped for ourselves and the existence we want. It was a chance for us to really give the old control alt delete to our lifestyles. Like, let's just reboot this situation and go, hey, everything's out of our calendar. Because it was, right? For the first time in my life, I didn't even need my calendar for weeks. <laughs> um, and I hadn't been that way since I was four. You know what I mean? I always had a calendar. So when everything comes out of your calendar, you have the ability to go, okay, what do I really want to bring back into it? And what I'm finding in this whole situation is that I think as a society, um, myself included very much so in this, in this statement, I think as a society, we said yes too much to the good things. And the reality is that was meaning we were saying no to the great things. I, I think we, we said yes. And we, we sort of assumed that the good things were about as good as it got. No, man, don't shortchange yourself. Like they can be way better than they are. Um, and we were so comfortable with good that we just continued to say yes to good. And it stopped us from having the time and the energy and the ability to pursue great things. Right. And there are so many great things out there. We need to sit, we need to be willing to say no to the, the good things on occasion. Right. Yeah. And, and it's something that we don't, we definitely don't do enough of it's two things that just to wrap everything up. One, is there anything that I missed or that you wanted to talk about that you had jog into your memory as we were talking that you want to get off your chest? Gotcha. Let's, let's start there. Nothing that jumps out at me in particular, except the fact I want to do this again with you. I, I, I uh, I think this is great. I love it. And, and I love talking to people who are passionate about um, their role as, as leaders, mentors, guides, um, people who are willing to engage with others and, and just sort of, you know, put humanity behind everything we're doing. Um, so first of all, that jumps out of me. I need, I want to need to do this again with you. That well, would be fun. I'm, I'm um, more than, more than excited to have you back because I think like we we've said um, before in the preamble to this, like we could talk for a few days um, and there's always totally. Something. Sorry, and I was going to just add to that at the end yeah. of the equation. I think one of the things that I mean, this whole scenario, if I were to boil everything we've talked down, we've talked in many different directions. But the one thing I think that I think is just so important is, is that we really understand that we have to take care of ourselves first. So many good leaders um, don't make sure they're seaworthy before they go to water to save the drowning victims. And then now you've got more people in the water. Um, we have to take care of ourselves first, right? We really have to make sure that we secure our own oxygen mask first, right? Just like that, that airline thing it you know pops down in the pre-safety they're like if you're traveling with people of 
of, uh, of children or people who need aid, secure your own oxygen mask first. Because basically, if you will go unconscious, you're all useless, right? And we need to get better at securing our own oxygen mask. We really, really do. And you know, we, we live in a world where the, the old phrase, there's no I in team, I think gets misused. Um, because at its, at its root, I understand the statement. And it's, at its root, I believe in the statement. But the reality is a team is a, is a collective group of eyes. And if the eyes have not taken care of themselves before they get here today, they will not be themselves, their best selves in this practice of this competition. So the reality is this goes back to, we were talking about college students and you know they're, they're crying at practice because they haven't eaten properly in two weeks because they haven't had time to get groceries. It's one of those, you know what? I need to teach them to take care of themselves. They need to put I first and they need to be willing to put I first more often and take care of those needs. And then they'll be better across the board, right? And I think that we look at it, that statement, there's no I in team. Well, there's no I in team until the whistle goes or the, or the game starts. At the end of the day, my job is to make sure I take care of myself the best of my ability. So when I come and become a part of the team, I'm bringing the best me I can to the picture and then melting pot that together, I'm a part of the team. But my job is to be the best me or the best I I can be before I get to the arena or to the rink or to the golf course, which means self-care. Self-care is not selfish. It is the opposite of selfish. It is literally the things that you need to do so your, your teammates can depend on you. You can be rested. You can be um, impactful, right? So self-care is so powerful in everything. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for the time that you gave us today. Um, thank you for just like being yourself at all times, even though maybe you started off by putting a mask on um, to get there. <laughs> I, I really do like every time we talk um, and it hasn't been that many times, but every time we talk, you just like have all of the answers all there. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I feel so fortunate that like you, you were able to get, get connected with me today. And I definitely look forward to the next time that we do this kind of thing. Yeah. I look forward to our next chat, whether it's on camera or not. I always, I always enjoy our conversations. What an amazing chat. I always feel like there's always more to talk about. There's always a little bit more to get into. Um, we kept talking after the call today and, you know, like this guy is definitely going to come back and chat with us about more and more and more. Um, if you want to hear more from Trevor, uh, his website is trevormore.ca and he's on the social media, definitely IG, Instagram at trevormoreinc, I-N-C. I hope you got something out of it. This is a show about leadership. It's about learning from each other. And I definitely felt like I learned something today from Trevor. I hope you felt like you learned something uh, from him too. Don't forget that the best way to support this show is to subscribe, like, or follow the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. It actually gets us out there more thanks to the power of analytics. And in the future, it could even help us get bigger names to join the show. Thanks again for following along. Remember, until next time, have a great day because we're all in this together.